Good morning. We are continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. We have one more to go before we hit Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're still in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And uh, just as a bit of a refresher, um, sort of continuing down this theme of liberty or our rights and love. And as we got into this church in Corinth and we started to understand who these Corinthians were, you'll remember from some of the earlier sermons, uh, they were a group of people that really latched on to this idea of liberty. Paul had come and planted the church. He preached the gospel. He said, the gospel has set you free. And they remembered that and they started to say things like, um, you know, we know, Paul, that all things are permissible to us. And Paul said, yes, all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And they would say things like, um, we know that we have uh, freedom to, to do whatever we want, to eat whatever we want. You know, idols are nothing. We have this knowledge that you've taught us that idols are nothing. And Paul's like, yeah, that's true. You do have that liberty. You do have that right uh, to eat the meat offered at idols and things like that. But don't get carried away with your liberty too far in causing others to stumble. And, and they said, you know, we're, we have this liberty. We're free. So we're free from marriage, right? And we're free from being slaves. And we're free from this. And Paul's yeah, you're free. But you're not free from all the covenant relationships that you have. Covenant relationships are important. So liberty is sitting here. And it's something that is true. And, but liberty is framed in by love, our love for one another and the fact that we don't want to cause other people to stumble and drag them into situations that would cause them trouble. You remember we talked about that in terms of what we might be free to do, but what other Christians might not have that same sense of freedom because of their past or other things that would cause them to be brought back into bondage. And then we do have liberty, but it also needs to be guided by purity, right? Just because we have liberty doesn't mean, oh, you know, Paul, we're free, and so we can allow all this sin to go free in our, in our life. And, the, you know, we're, they were boasting in the fact that they had all this different sin in their church. And Paul said, no, it's true, you're free, but free is also bounded by purity. And so when we're laying these foundation stones in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is having to come back to the church and relay the foundations that he laid a few years earlier when he first uh, founded the church and was teaching them. Uh, because they had dialed the, the liberty dial way up. They loved that teaching. They had that turned right up to 11. You know, but they had purity and, and covenant and these other things you know, dialed down to two or three. And uh, so Paul is trying to relay these foundations and just get them set just right. And so we're continuing on this idea of liberty and our rights and the rights that we have as Christians and the freedom that we have on, as Christians. And last week, specifically, we talked about uh, meat offered at idols. I know a burning problem for all of us. And, uh, but we just talked about how, yeah, you do have this freedom, but be careful that you're not causing others to stumble. While you're waving your freedom flag around, you're not whacking your brothers and sisters in the head with it. And they're not being caused to stumble by the freedom that you're exhibiting in Christ. But Paul agreed you do have freedom. And so now in chapter 9, Paul goes on uh, to expand more on this idea of the freedom that we have as Christians. And affirming the freedom that we have as Christians. But he wants to fine-tune it. He wants to frame up our liberty. He wants to frame up our freedom and our rights with more explanation of love. Not only don't wave your freedom around to hit people in the head with it and cause them to stumble. Paul says, don't do that. He gives them sort of the negative, don't do that. And now in chapter 9, he's going to tell them how he uses his rights. What is the right use of our Christian rights? And that's what Paul's going to talk about in chapter 9. Uh, so let's just pray as we get into the sermon here. 
Father God, I would ask that you would just uh, open up your word to us, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be upon us, that our, our hearts and our ears would be open uh, to what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Um, that as he invites the Corinthians and brings correction to that church, that we would listen uh, with the ears of a church 2,000 years later that's living in a similar culture, has the same problems. Uh, that we have to understand these foundation stones that Paul has laid, that this isn't just teaching because they're good ideas, but Paul is grounding these truths in the reality of the gospel and in what your plan is for us. And so, Father, we just ask that we would have that sense in our heart that this is not just good advice. This is real foundational truth on which to build our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... Paul says, starting out, and I'm just going to do a summary of 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to uh, 18 or so, because we're going to pick it up in in verse 19. In the first 18 verses of chapter 9, as we sort of go through this a little bit quickly, Paul basically explains and expounds on the rights that he has as an example. And so if you were to read those at 1 Corinthians 9 and sort of skim through those first 18 verses, uh, you would see how Paul is explaining, don't I have the same freedom as others in Christ? Even more, aren't I an apostle? I mean, didn't I plant this church? Aren't I due some respect for that? Don't we apostles have the right to food and drink, he says in verse 4? Don't we have a right to marry people like other people? You know, don't Barnabas and I get to have a wife like, like Peter has? Um, don't we have a right to be supported in our ministry labor? And so that's verses 6 to 13. So Paul is asking these sort of rhetorical questions about his rights. He's saying, yeah, don't I have these freedoms? Don't I have these rights? I have all these same freedoms that other people have in Christ. But Paul then says, he says, I have made no use of those rights in Corinth. He set aside the right that was due him from the church because he's compelled to preach the gospel and he gets no personal satisfaction from that. And so Paul actually confesses here a little bit that he makes no use of his rights so that he can at least boast that he preaches the gospel freely. And there's sort of a complicated little section in there. Uh, in verses uh, 7 to 13, where Paul is basically saying, I'm compelled to preach the gospel, and so me giving up my rights of, of you, you know, supplying for me and, and, uh, and doing these things, uh, it at least gives me an opportunity to boast. Because if I just preached the gospel and took all my rights, I wouldn't have any reason to boast. And so Paul's being a little self-confessional there. He's just saying, I have to preach the gospel anyway. I'm compelled to. And so at least I'm going to preach it freely, uh, you know, so I have some, you know, I can save some face somewhere. Um, But more importantly, he set aside his rights to live as he would live in the world for the sake of presenting the gospel to the lost. And that's verses 19 uh, through to 23, and that's what we're going to look at. So he's basically saying, I've set all these rights aside, all these things that I do, all these things that are perfectly free for me as a Christian, I've set them aside for the sake of presenting the gospel to the lost. And as he does so, he's teaching the Corinthians, here is the right way to use your rights. And the right way for a Christian to use their rights, the right way for a Christian to use their liberty is to set it aside to become a bondservant of everyone. You're free to become a slave is essentially what Paul says. Let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Literally a slave, it says that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. 
To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And so just like this church in Corinth, in our day and age, we can really get hung up on our rights. And that's where Corinth was at, right? We've talked about this three or four different sermons, right? They had their liberty. They had their freedom. They had their rights. I can go eat the meat at the temple. I can go to the feast. I can, you know, marry whoever I want. I can divorce who I want. I don't want to work for this person anymore. I I have all these white, and they were waving their freedom around. And just like the church in Corinth, in our day in North America, we can get hung up on our liberty. We can get hung up on our rights. And Paul says, you're right, you're free. We are set free by the gospel, and we can celebrate that liberty. But what do we use that liberty for? And so Paul goes on here to explain how to use our rights and our liberty properly. And the first thing that sort of comes to mind or or that I want to pull out of here that we keep in mind through this whole thing is that we hold on to our rights very lightly. That our rights and our liberty are not things that we firmly hang on to and grab onto and never let go of. Paul was willing to give up many of the rights he had. He had the right to a wife, but he knew that that would cause problems with his ministry. He had a right to get paid by the people at Corinth, but he had just founded the church and he wasn't going to ask them for money. So he took a job as a tent maker to make tents, you know, to support himself in Corinth. He didn't do that everywhere, but in Corinth he, he did that. And, and so... He worked in different places and did things that he didn't have to do in order to fulfill his ministry of the gospel. And so Paul held on to his rights very loosely. His rights were not something that he kept a firm grip on. He was able to let them go. He said earlier, he said, I'll even give up eating meat, which to me is crazy talk. But he said, I I would even give up eating meat if it would cause anybody to stumble. Paul's saying, I'll be a vegetarian if that's what it takes. You know, so his rights, he held very loosely. You know, he was not hanging on to saying, this is my right and I'm free as a Christian, so I'm going to do it. No, no, very loosely held. If it caused a problem, it's gone. Don't need it. Paul's liberty, his rights were given up for the sake of the gospel. And that's his aim here. So he's holding on to these things loosely, but, but why is he holding them loosely? Why does Paul do this? What's the aim? What is it that Paul is asking us to join him in? And it's really obvious in this text. Sometimes it's hard to find. In this text, he says it seven times. So if you missed it, well, there's only four verses. (laughs) He says it seven times. He says in verse 19 that I might win more of them. In verse 20, in order to win Jews. Verse 20, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, that I might win those outside of the law. Verse 22, that I might win the weak. Verse 22, that I by all means might save some. Verse 23, for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Seven times he tells us. It's only four verses, so hopefully we don't miss it. The reason Paul is doing this is for the sake of the gospel, in order to save people, in order to gain them, in order to win them. And so Paul does all that he does so that people can hear the gospel, that they can be saved. Right? And Paul knew that his faith in Christ would be utterly inauthentic and utterly false. His faith in Christ would be meaningless if he abandoned the pattern of life that was set out by Jesus and no longer cared for other people. And in Paul's mind, and as we see in the Christian life, as we'll see later uh, from Jesus on through, that caring for other people, that loving other people, 
means submitting to them. It means self-sacrifice. It means laying aside our liberty to serve them. And so Paul knows that his gospel is inauthentic if he does not love people in this way, if he doesn't show love by submitting to save them. And I have to just take one minute here and talk about saved from what? Because this whole thing doesn't make sense unless we understand what it is that Paul is preaching the gospel of. If he's to win people, if he's to save people, if he's to gain people, it's save them from what? Or win them for what? Save them from the wrath of God. That's the undercurrent here that's never spoken of in this text. But understand this, that if you don't believe in the wrath of God that is to come on those who do not glorify Jesus and believe in the Son of God in the way that they should, then there is nothing to save them from and there is no purpose to the gospel. And so when Paul says here that he wants to gain people or save people six times, it's to save them from the wrath of God, or to put it the other way, to win them to eternal life. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so baseline here, underneath all of this, when you're talking about what Paul is doing, when you're talking about the ministry that Paul is asking the church to join him in, you have to have this understanding of the gospel, and the gospel loses all of its power if there is no wrath and there is no eternal life. And the church can lose sight of that. We can, we can get this sort of weird sense of that the gospel is not as important as it is, because the gospel is really just good advice for people, you know, or it's a way that they can deal with their depression, or it's a way that they can deal with their family problems, or it's a way that they can feel better about themselves. And we have this therapeutic sense of what the gospel is. And if the gospel just, and we're going to talk about this more next week, so I'll leave it for now, but if the gospel just becomes this therapeutic feel-good for people, then why do all this self-sacrifice? The power of the gospel is completely lost if we as Christians don't understand that the world is lost without the love of God, under the wrath of God. Whatever their problems are today are nothing to the problems that are coming. And we don't have any compulsion to save them unless we understand that. So I'll just sort of take that, put that on the shelf, and just understand that in our minds, in the back of our minds, and in the front of our minds, we have to get a sense around what Paul is passionate about. And the Apostle Paul is passionate about the gospel, that people are lost without God, doomed to his wrath, unless he saves them. And so he says it here six times that he wants to gain them, he wants to win them, he wants to save them. And so his love is poured out to them in this self-sacrificial way. That he, he will give up all of his rights in order to see them saved. And so Paul says, church, don't worry so much about yourselves. Don't, you're talking about your liberties, you're talking about your rights. Stop obsessing over your freedoms. Stop obsessing over what your rights are. Worry about the lost. There's a dying world out there that needs to hear the whole gospel. That there is a wrath of God that they can't escape. And there's repentance and faith in Jesus that they need. And Paul holds everything loosely except that gospel and his desire to preach it. And so the, the example that he's setting here for the church is, or essentially the question he might be asking rhetorically is, do you hold your rights and your liberties that loosely? Do we gladly hang out in a different kind of place to be seen with a different kind of people or sing a different kind of music or dress differently or eat strange food in order to be close to the people that really need Jesus? Do we give up our right to comfort, to live where we choose, or closeness to our family in order to save some people, any people? I think in some ways we do, in some ways we don't. As we look at this text here and what Paul is willing to set aside for the sake of the gospel... He's trying to teach us something about how to rightly use our rights, or more accurately, how to not use our rights. 
for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul's strategy is to use his Christian liberty to become a slave to everyone for the gospel. And so he sets aside his rights purposefully to reach these specific sort of tribes of people. Okay, So he did more than just give up his rights. He knew the rights that he would give up strategically in order to accomplish his goal. In Corinth, he understood that being paid in Corinth was an issue because in Corinth you had all these sort of rhetorical paid orators who debated philosophy, and they were paid to stand in the marketplace and debate philosophy. And so if he went into Corinth and he got paid to put forth his philosophy of the gospel, then he would just be seen as another person who was paid by some patron to put forward a certain truth to debate with the people in the marketplace. And so Paul understood, I have to give this gospel out freely. It's going to be an issue for me if I'm just perceived as one of these paid orators, right? He knew that marriage would be difficult in his ministry, so he gave up that right even though he has a right. Doesn't he have a right to a wife, to settle down with kids, you know, build a family, have a nice little home, you know, maybe somewhere near Bethlehem, you know, nice pastoral setting, kids go to a good school, you know, doesn't he have the right to that? Sure, but he gave up that right. He gave up the right to a marriage and a family and a nice home, and sending the kids to a good school and, you know, watching ESPN at night. He gave that up for the sake of the gospel. He has that right, but he held it loosely. And he did it to reach specific types of people, right? It's, it, he consider, consider what it means when, when we go through these different things. We'll go through Jews and outside the law and things like that. Consider what it means when Paul says that he gave up his rights and he became as a Jew or he became as one under the law to those under the law. And so he's speaking there to the religious people. And Paul said, to the Jews and to the highly religious people, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I became like them. And it was easy for him because he was a Pharisee. And so, so he says, I'm free from all. I'm not myself under the law. I'm unburdened from the Jewish law. I don't have to follow the, the ceremonial Jewish law. And yet he's able to respect those who are under the law. And he knows the law and he knows the scripture and he knows the details of religion very well. And as we'll examine a little later, Paul took the vows of purity rites at the temple in Jerusalem for the sake of the Jewish Christians there. And so Paul gives up his freedom and he follows the law so that he can interact with those under the law in order to win them for the law of Christ. And so Paul would go to the synagogue, and he would speak with the Jews, and he would take part in Jewish ceremonies, and he would do things in order to reach those people under the law. And in our context, that might be, um, you know, to, re- to realize that we have to engage people within the tradition and the structure that they're in, that we have to be willing to go to people and meet them where they're at and say, I can, I can put myself in that culture, I can put myself in that situation, um, at... Uh, at Calvary Baptist Church in Guelph, where I came from, we had a Mandarin congregation and an English congregation. And so the example there is a, a Chinese, congreg- Chinese population, generally Asian culture, tends to be very high context, right? You know, you, they have their business card, they take it, they present it, they bow, uh, they wear suits and ties all the time, and, and everything is very high context. They're very polite. There's a whole tea ceremony and all of that sort of Asian culture that you're aware of that, that people come out of, and it's very high context, Okay, and then you have North American culture, which is very low context, right? Wear jeans, never wear a tie, um, you know, just whatever. And so there's this difference between a high context culture and a low context culture. And when you go into a high context culture, you agree, I'm going to engage in a high context way. I'm not going to force my low context culture on people. You know, I'm not going to walk into uh, that culture and not interact with them the way that they are. And so Paul said, I can put myself under the laws of culture. I can put myself under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. I'm willing to take it on if I can reach them in that way. 
Or he goes on and he says those outside the law, which would be the irreligious, the unchurched, you know, the low-context cultures. You know, Paul doesn't only move in these sort of academic and religious circles. Paul sets aside the strict religious observance in order to reach the Romans and the Greeks and the Persians. And Paul contends with the Judaizers in Galatia, and he appeals to the apostles in, in, in Jerusalem to confront the freedom that there is in Christ. And he says, look, you don't, you're not under the law. You know, in, in, the, in his letter to the Galatians, he says, you, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to do this, you don't have to observe certain Sundays, you don't have to observe these feasts, you're free from all of that stuff. None of that stuff is going to save you. It has an appearance of goodness, but it's not good in and of itself, and it won't justify you before God. And so Paul dives into those outside of the law, and he says, I can become as those outside of the law too, right? I can work a blue-collar job, I can, you know, talk in the marketplace, in the streets, I can... I can engage with people, whatever, outside of the law, no problem. You need me there, I'll be there to reach them for the gospel. You know, Paul traveled through dozens of cities from Jerusalem to Rome, and he adjusted his style of teaching to all of them. He taught in synagogues, and he taught in the marketplace, right? He was, in all cultures, teaching relevantly to them. And Paul says, I will make myself as one outside of the law in order to reach those that are outside of the law, even though I myself am not outside of the law of Christ. So I have to... He's still under the law of Christ, but he can make himself as one outside of the law to reach them. And so for us today, we have to adapt to reach the primary culture we find ourselves in. And more importantly, we'll get into this, we'll, we have to adapt to the subcultures and the tribes within the culture. Right? That's one of the things we have to be aware of in North America. Is we are far from being a homogeneous culture in North America. You know, Maybe a little bit more so up here in the highlands than in more urban places. But we're not even homogeneous up here. And so there are all these different tribes in our culture that we have to be able to adapt to. And that's what Paul is saying here. I will become whatever they need. He says to the weak, I will become weak. He has to serve and disciple and care for those that are young in the faith and are still seeking the faith, right? And we see this in many of his letters, that Paul realizes that the church is young and that there are so many new converts in the church and he has to serve the weak spiritually. That's what he was talking all about in chapter 8. That he said, I'll give up eating meat if it'll help a weaker brother. Like, if that's going to cause someone to stumble, fine, I'll serve the weak in that way. You know, I'll give it up. Or implied, it's not literally here, but implied because he's serving the weak, it's implied that he's also serving the strong. If he became weak, therefore he was strong, and so it sort of implies that he also serves the strong. And so Paul also realized that he has to serve and support his fellow Christians. That those that are strong in the faith, he's running with them, and he has to encourage and be encouraged. And, he, and, and we see that in his pastoral letters where he's writing to Timothy and Titus and others and he's encouraging his fellow strong Christians to run the race well. And so Paul is serving the weak and he's serving the strong. Or the main point that he sort of sums up at the end, he says, all people, I will become anything to anyone in order to bring the love of Christ to them. All people, what is that? That's, you know, to the blue collar, I'll become blue collar. To the white collar, I'll be white collar. To the academia, I'll become as an academic. You know, to the jocks, I'll talk sports. To the nerds, well, I'm already a nerd, so I can fit into that one. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a nerd. To the gamers, I'll talk about Call of Duty. To the Halliburtonians, I'll become a Halliburtonian. You know, to the skidoers, I'll become a skidoer. You know, whatever it takes to reach people to fit in. Because this on the outside, Paul is saying, this isn't what matters. What matters is the gospel and loving people. 
right? To the teens, I'll join in Fear Factor and put live things in my mouth. That was last Friday. You know? And you can insert anything here in order to reach people. What are we willing to do, right? To the rich, I'll be rich. To the poor, I'll be poor. Paul talks about that too, right? He said, I've learned to be content with plenty and with nothing. Because he moved in the circles of the rich and he moved in the circles of the poor. You know, to the soccer moms, I'll be like a soccer mom. To the hell's angel bikers, I'll be a biker, right? To the goths, I'll be a goth. To the, what's the opposite of a goth? I don't know anymore. Teenagers? Preppy. And that's what it used to be. Are there still preppies? To the goth, I'll be a goth. To the preppy, I'll be a preppy, right? You know? Paul says, I will be all things to all people. We set aside our rights to a narrow, comfortable, homogenous world. And we embrace the diversity that the gospel is meant to reach. Right? We set aside our rights to be able to build this sort of comfortable, everything is the same, people sing the music I like, people dress the way I like, people look the way I like, everybody talks the way I like. That homogenous comfort, mm, nice, warm, soft, jello, nothing ever changes. Paul says that's not the church. That's not how we're to use our liberty. That's not how we're to use our rights as Christians. The way that we use our rights as Christians is we set them aside and we become whatever we need to become for the sake of the gospel because this warm, soft, homogeneous, comfortable world place that we're building for ourselves doesn't mean anything in comparison to the eternity that's coming and the wrath of God that's on those that are outside, maybe some that are here. Paul says, I'll set it all aside for the gospel. And so we have to understand that this all people, all these different tribes that I talked about, they're all the different cultures that we have to adopt to. Blue collar, white collar, academics, jocks, nerds, gamers, Halibertonians, Trontonians, right? Cityots. I heard that phrase. <laughs> um, and they're all coming, right? Eight weeks, they'll all be here. Um, we have to adjust to them. Because the picture that Paul has in mind, if, if you look, if you turn, if you have your Bibles, go to Revelation 7. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. In Revelation 7, 9 and 10, this is the picture of what it's going to be like at the throne. It's not all homogeneous, warm, soft, jello, everybody the same, right? At the throne of God, this is what it looks like. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is what Paul has in mind. He knows when we get to eternity, it is going to be bikers and goths and blue collars and white collars and Asian and black and every tribe, every nation, every culture, every subculture is going to be there worshiping. And Paul says, I'm going to make myself whatever I need to make myself to reach those cultures. So how do we do this? 
How do we do what Paul is saying, is setting as his example? At the end of all of this, when you get down to the end of chapter 10, he goes through all these examples of how to frame our liberty with love and purity and covenant and everything else. And at the end of it all, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so Paul is inviting us to imitate him here. And so we have to ask, how does this happen? It's all made possible through love, through the law of Christ, verse 21. The law of Christ is the key to making this happen. The law of Christ is the law of love. The expression of love, to to, to connect the dots, the expression of love can mainly be described as submission to the one who is loved. Where do I get from that? He says, being free from all, I enslave myself from all. Paul's expression of love, the freedom that he has in the gospel, is that he enslaves himself to everyone. Or in Romans 13, 8, he says it this way, Owe no one anyone except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Or he says in Ephesians 5, 21 and 22, you know those famous verses in Ephesians, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, so there's this love, submission, love, submission, giving yourself up. Galatians 5, 13, he says the same thing, for you were called to freedom, brothers, you were called to liberty, Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Love, serve. Love, submit. Love, serve. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens. In other words, be a servant of the other person. Bear their burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what's the law of Christ? What's the law of love? Law of Christ, love. Love, submit. Right? The law of Christ is submitting to one another in love. That everything that Paul is talking about here is the act of love. That if we are to love people, we are to submit to them. If we're to submit to them, we are to meet them where they're at. To set aside our rights and our preferences for their rights and their preferences. And so the law that we're under is the law of love. Setting aside our rights and submitting to others. And acting however we need to act in order to reach them with the gospel. And there's so many examples that I could go through for this because this teaching is modeled all through Scripture. I mean, that's why it's called the foundational series because this is foundational. So there's lots of places you could go to see this modeled, right? Paul does it in Acts 21, which I I sort of touched on earlier, right? Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He's meeting with Peter. He's meeting with James. He's meeting with John, all the bigwigs, the apostles and everybody. And they say, look, Paul, there's thousands of Jews in the city of Jerusalem that have come to know Christ. And... You know, they've heard these things about you, that you're a bit of a wild card, that you're a bit off the wall, that you're basically trashing the law, and they're a little uncomfortable with that. And Paul says, okay, you know what? I'll take some of these young guys, and I'll go up to the temple, and I'll do the purity ritual with them. And I'll do the seven days of purity, and I'll go through the vows, and everybody will just maybe be a little, I'll be a little more credible. I'll be a little more transparent. I'll be able to reach these people a little better if I do this. And so Paul does that. He actually goes up to the temple, he takes the vows, he takes some young guys through him, he does the purity stuff. He puts himself under the law for those under the law. You know, or Paul and Timothy in Acts 16, Timothy was even circumcised in order to not cause offense. Talk about not giving up meat. Timothy was circumcised (laughs) in order to not give offense to those that he was teaching. He put himself under the law in order to reach those that were lost. Or Jesus, of course, prime example. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, and he also ate with Pharisees, and he was called a drunkard and a glutton for it, right? Because for following the law of love, Jesus set aside his reputation. Jesus set aside 
his nice, warm, comfy house in heaven that he did not have to leave. And he had more than ESPN. He had all the super channels, right? Jesus gave up heaven, set aside his right as God to come and serve. And then here, he gave up his reputation even as a rabbi to sit and eat with sinners and tax collectors to the point that people called him a drunkard. But he knew that he had to reach those that were, that were lost, excuse me, right? And he lost it all in order that he might win some of us. And so Jesus doesn't ask any less of us. Paul doesn't ask any le- less of us. He says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. This Christians, this Corinthians, and this Christians is how you use your liberty. This is how you use your rights. You set them aside. You give up your rights in order to serve people with the gospel. And so in closing, the application here is that it's a very narrow path that Paul walks. You know, that Paul asks us to walk between being set apart from the world, you know, literally, or even just socially, hiding our faith from people. Like, we can set ourselves apart from the world, you know, just by not telling people we're Christians, right? We can keep ourselves separate from the world just by not letting on who we are. But he, he says, walk this line between being set apart to the point that you hide socially or, or maybe self, snobbishly or self-righteously, like the Pharisees, they set themselves apart by saying, we're better than all of you, Right? So Paul says, walk this fine line between being set apart from the world in whatever way and this other side of being so absorbed and so much a part of the world that you're invisible because you're no different than the world and you don't have anything to offer them because you've just been absorbed into the world. So Paul is not saying, you know, become so lawless that you can't offer the gospel anymore that it actually affects you, but don't be so self-righteous and free from and in the law, that you're unapproachable by these people, right? You have to be approachable, but not influenced. You understand the narrow path I'm trying to get across here? Paul is asking us to walk this narrow path between separatism with no impact on the world because we keep ourselves aloof from it all versus compromised expediency. I'm so much a part of the world that I don't actually have anything to offer them. In fact, they've influenced me, and I don't even have the gospel because my life has just been sucked into the world. And so there's this narrow path that Paul is walking. Not under the law, but under the law. Under the law, but not under the law. And he says, as Christians, this is what we walk. We walk this narrow path. Because if we are so separate from the world that we can't touch them with the gospel, then we're no use to them. And if we're so absorbed by the world that the gospel can't see any gospel in our life, then then we're no use to them. Paul says, it's like salt and light. Hey, we heard that anywhere before? Right? The salt has to be in contact with the meat, but it still has to be salt. Or else it doesn't do any preserving. Right? We've got to be in the world, but not of the world. See how this is foundational. And so for love's sake, we make an effort to overcome every unnecessary difference between ourselves and the world we're trying to reach. We don't want false barriers stopping people from hearing the gospel. We don't want people to not hear the gospel just because they don't like the way we dress. Right? If they're going to be offended by something, let them be offended by the gospel. Not offended by us. And so we make ourselves accessible. We make every effort to overcome every unnecessary difference between us and the world that we're trying to reach. 
And so for love's sake, we would learn another language. For love's sake, we would give away our life to another culture. For love's sake, we would not live in the city maybe that we chose to live in or in the people or near family or with the place or the people that we chose. And we would dress like the natives. I mean, I've worn suits and ties in my life preaching. You know, a tie is a ridiculous thing. Sorry, Olaf. (laughs) But I mean, you tie this thing up, you put it around your neck, and you have to get it just right. And it has to come down to your belt, but not above your belt, not below your belt. It's got to line up just right. And you know, you put it on five or six times to get it right. It's just a piece of cloth around our neck. Why do we wear that thing? But culturally, to fit in, for a long time, we wore ties, right? And so we dress like the natives. We get into the politics of the natives. We get into the sports. We get into their lives. We engage with them where they're at in order to win them for Jesus. If Matthew 28, 19 is the mission, then I would say that 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 is the strategic plan. That Paul is laying out for us here. He's emulating for us what we are to become in order to accomplish the mission of the gospel. And so the right use of our rights is to set them aside in order to become, it's an old word, but become winsome become approachable, become transparent, become credible, become close to the world that we are reaching for the gospel. The aim of Paul is the gospel, and everything else outside of the gospel is submission to the world we are trying to reach out of love. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for your word. And this morning, as we come into this time of communion... We just want to pause and take this teaching of Paul, teaching of yours, on what love is and what the law of Christ is and what the law of love is. That we need to hold all of this loosely in submission to others, especially those that we are trying to reach with the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. That we would hold very lightly to things that we think we hold dear, especially our rights and our privileges and our freedoms because they don't mean anything compared to the gospel. So, Father, that's different for all of us, because we're all from different tribes. We're all from different places, and there are different things that we hold on tightly to and different things that we hold dear. And so for each one of us, as we come into communion now, Lord, as we come to the love feast, to commune with you, to be listening and hearing from you and offering ourselves to you, I would just pray that each one of us would consider the, the right that we just can't live without, that we just have to have, and let it go. Just give it to you and say, I don't, I don't have to have this. I don't have to live in this town or be this type of person or have this education or have this job or move in these circles or have this reputation. or I don't even know what it is, Lord. It would be different for all of us. But we can come into communion with you here and we can just say, Lord, you've made us free from everything. Set us free. Teach me how to use my freedom to serve the world with your gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.